Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mango Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I'm joined by Spencer Spencer. Say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. We are on episode three of Disney Plus's Mandalorian, aptly titled, very aptly titled, on the nose, Spencer, The Sin. Indeed. Whew. What'd you think of the episode? Uh, this is kind of the episode that really informs the rest of the series, because a character makes a choice here that sets everything in motion hereafter. And it's, it's one of those life moments of where he clearly could have done a different thing, and none of the rest ever would have happened. This is the branching point in your life, Mr. Mandalorian, and you just took one path. Mando did make a choice, two choices actually, in this episode that we'll get into. Before we do that, Spencer, anything on Mangum Reed you want to talk about? Uh, we have finished off the Chamber of Secrets uh, in terms of going through pottering around, and we are starting up what apparently is the fan favorite. Um, I think it's entitled The Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, I keep yep. on getting that title wrong every time I try to say it. Uh, this is one where I've seen a half second of what appear to be two dogs fighting in watching the movie, and so that is about the limit of my knowledge. Uh, but I've been told to look forward to it that apparently it is the darling of the fan base. So we've got that. We just finished up Damnovic Spinning Silver in terms of our more full recap on Mangum Reads, which was a lot of fun to talk about, even if in our last episode we just nonstop pissed on the book, but that's kind of what we do after about six episodes. It's our, it's our routine. But we're moving on to new material hereafter, and we hope you listen. Yep, and on Whiskey on the Weekends, we have gotten into a groove. We're doing week-by-week week reviews um, of how we're all doing during the coronavirus lockdown. We've done three. We'll do the fourth one this Sunday, and that'll be up. That is going to be April, what, 12th. Yep. I, and I sincerely hope with our last episode that I've encouraged both all of you and all of our listeners to check your dishwasher fil filters. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't you haven't listened to that episode, you have to go back. Spencer tells a doozy of a story about his attempt to clean a dishwasher filter, which BJ and I didn't even know existed. So <laughs> it was embarrassing all the way around. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those proud moments where I feel like we all learned something today. You're know, like end of end of original of old South Park episode style. We learned something today. Yep, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get to the recap. We'll do um, line of the episode and nostalgic moment of the episode. Mm -hmm. Spencer, question for you before we get jump in the recap. Very serious question here um, in these serious times. Have you been craving eggs as much as I have since watching episode two? I specifically, or, uh, on one of my first orders that I made through Instacart coming from Costco, I ordered the like, massive pallet worth of eggs. Hadn't really thought about why I did that immediately after watching the episode, but yes, this may be some very effective subliminal marketing on the part of this show. Hooga, hooga. Yeah, I've been, I've been eating a lot of eggs. <laughs> do All right. do you say that when you eat them, though? Are you chanting that as you cook them? You know, Sarah puts up with a lot. I think that might be a bridge too far. <laughs> a, te a test for a later date. We'll see. All right. Getting the recap. Starts with Mando's ship coming out of hyperspace. Most of the episodes start in space, end in space. It's a very Star Wars trope. I like that Favreau is continuing that in the show. And Baby Yoda gets out of his pot. Mm -hmm. Mando gets a transmission from Grief. Grief is Apollo Creed, Carl Weathers. Mm -hmm. Grief explains that the client is very anxious to receive the target and then oddly mentions, I don't know if you thought this writing was weird, Spencer. He doesn't know if the client wants to eat it. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't... I don't really know why... I, I agree. That, that struck me as a little bit funny, because it seems like the entire nature of their order is not even to ponder that kind of question. But I think at this point, it's reflecting that he's letting a bit of his discipline and professionalism drop just because he's so giddy about this. But he's almost just like, I'm trying... I'm, I'm bonding with you just because we're both about to share a wonderful moment right now. 
I think it's partly that, and I think he also is probably a little bit startled at just how much the client wants this thing. Yeah, I mean, the sheer amount of wealth that's being thrown around here to the point, I mean, we'll see later, but he's even getting Beskar plate himself. These guys mm-hmm. are dropping cash just around. Seriously. Baby Yoda sits up near the cockpit and takes a metal ball off of what looks like some sort of lever. Mm-hmm. Mando says it's not a toy and puts him back in the pot. So first cute baby, Moda, baby Yoda moment of the episode. We're not done. There will be more. They land and Mando starts walking with the pod. Baby, I don't know if you noticed this, but Baby Yoda seemed to know this is not going to go well for him. Baby Yoda looks worried. He, and it, it's, it's, he starts out maybe a little bit just fascinated and curious, but as they progress, like I don't know if it's just the people or the atmosphere or, like you said, a general sense of foreboding, but... He starts to retreat into his pod a little bit in concern. I gotta tell you, like, the effects... Uh, how they do Baby Yoda is incredible. Like, I, I, there's so much of expression from that puppet. I don't know how they do it. It is all puppeteering, right? Yes. Then Jim Henson, eat your heart out. That is incredibly well done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I gotta tell you here, Spencer. I did not expect Mando was actually going to turn Baby Yoda in after the end of last episode. Like, on my first rewatch, I was like, I, th- I actually kind of thought that was just canon now. I thought it was, like, over. <laughs> like, an unspoken thing that he's not going to do this. And then, that right out of the gate, he drops Baby Yoda off. I, it really surprised me. It did surprise me, too. I kind of was just assuming that he wouldn't even return to the world. It would be a nonstop hunt of him starting there. But I guess they kind of wanted to do their little Han Solo moment of a character makes a decision, second guesses it on moral grounds, and returns to the scene to help out the other quote-unquote heroes. I guess that would make Baby Yoda the hero in this situation. But it's... Oh, Baby Yoda's the hero. Yes, he is. <laughs> the toddler is the grand hero of this adventure. It is. It is. I'm not really mocking that. But it's an interesting thing to realize. Yep. Stormtroopers. The stormtroopers in this series are a little worse for wear because we're used to uh, either the, you know, the original um, for episode four, five, and six, where mm-hmm. the Empire is in its glory days. And then you have seven, eight, nine, when you have the new Republic or no, sorry, the new order. And in both of those, those regimes are in power. So every stormtrooper we see is like pristine. These are not pristine stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. I, I just have to imagine these guys. You know, they, there's stormtrooper armor you can just buy. It's available now. You see it at conventions. I have to imagine just what effort they put into making that armor as dirty as possible for these characters because they're just filthy. Yep. Not. They've seen better days. Client. The client seems quite pleased. It's, this client is Warner Herzog. Mm. They never give him a name that I know of, so I'm just going to call him the client. He confers with the doctor, and they scan Baby Yoda. Any idea what the hell the scanner is? No, I mean, it seems to be they're testing his health to a certain degree because they respond that he's in good health. But more than that, no clue. It's like, are you verifying it's a baby Yoda? Because, you know, if Mando's some way pulling a trick on that regard, kudos, because well done. Yeah, or I could be your scanner. <laughs> I can look at it. Yep, that's a baby Yoda. Okay, happily done. One thing, you know, Go ahead. one thing to note, too, about the Stormtroopers that you realize over the course of this episode, it's an example of just how rough a state this Imperial Remnant is in, or at least the groups they're on to this guy. But their gear is not uniform. And if you look back in the original Star Wars saga, every single Stormtrooper has an E-11 blaster. They've got that little classic Stormtrooper blaster rifle. These guys, it's hodgepodge. They're using a various series of weapons, including a lot of what look like kind of janky pistols. So not only is their armor not being cared for, but even their gear is substandard. Right. And that speaks to your point that these guys might not even be proper Stormtroopers. 
like they, they like they just might have well i don't know if you made, actually i was thinking that point i don't know if you actually said it but they might not be proper stormtroopers like they just might have got the armor they might have got you know um some sort of blaster from a local market and they're just kind of body men or security very possible because we, we, we'll see stormtroopers later on in the series that much more fit the classic mold that these guys definitely do not yep uh, client very happy has this quote: "The asset is ve- this asset is very important to me." Yeah, we got that. You're doling out Beskar steel like you know you're at a roulette table, mm-hmm. and the client pulls out the payment. It is a lot of Beskar steel. Now it's a lot considering what we saw before. So the the original commission was one piece of this Beskar steel, and it was apparently like very very expensive and mm-hmm. he probably what now spencer has about 12 of them something like that i don't even know it's enough later on when we see the armor just assemble them in the tray to make the armor it's a lot of pieces of the best guard that she sets out there it may even be more it, it may be approaching like 20 in terms of the number we're talking about here but it mm-hmm. is a it is an almost ludicrous fortune from what we've heard previously yep mando hands over baby yoda to the doctor i don't know if you caught this moment right as baby yoda is being wheeled into the back he starts fussing he does. I think, oh. he, I think he even looks at Mando a little bit, too, as he's fussing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in very interesting move, and this is the first inclination we have here, that Mando might not be 100% all in with this let's give Baby Yoda up to the people that are going to hurt him plan. He says, what are you going to do to him? What's going to happen to him? And the moment he says that, the complete tone of the room changes. Because... Yep. That's not a question you're supposed to ask. That is entirely inappropriate right now. And it's interesting to see even the client's reaction to that, too. Because previously, even in moments where people are putting blasters at each other, he is the picture of calm. His tone doesn't even change. Here, he's remaining calm, but his tone gets icy. Yes. And just a a little background for folks who may not know, uh, Mando is part of the Bounty Hunter Guild. And this gets fleshed out a little bit in the Legend series, which is no longer canon, but I think Favreau drew on it a lot and does yeah. get fleshed out a little bit in this episode and later episodes. And what that guild is, is you're, you're in the guild. I think you even pay dues or at least some iteration of that. And you get these pucks, which are little holograms of targets that people have come to the guild and said, hey, go get this person and bring them to me. Once you do that, if you get paid, the transaction is over. You're never to speak of it again. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's taken payment and now asked, hey, what's going to happen to him? has st- I think in the client's mind started to say, okay, we might be off the rails here. Yeah, and I think I even reflect some of the things he tells the doctor later. Just because like, okay, you're still invested in this. And that is dangerous to our interests. Let's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I don't know if he pressed a button or just kind of did like a little hand gesture. Or everybody else detected his tone. Because a lot of stormtroopers suddenly start coming out of the woodwork in this room. Yep, they all kind of step out, not knowing if he's going to make his move now, later, or never. Um, the client points out that he's given Mando enough steel to, to get new armor. He also points out, and I thought this is very interesting, that finding the Beskar steel, which is one of the rarest alloys in the entire galaxy, mm-hmm. is easier these days than finding a Mandalorian. And yeah, I, I interpret that as being a... A certain degree of a threat, or at least just continuing a very icy line, of where it's strongly basically just suggesting of, we killed off all your people and we kept the kept what was valuable. And, you know, consider consider that consider that when you make your decision going forward. Yeah, I agree, but I also do think it's rounding out some of the backstory about the Mandalorians. So reinforcing yes. from a third party to the audience that there's not a lot of these guys left. No, definitely not. And it, and it also reflects again that 
I wish we knew more about this client. We don't really get much about him over the course of the series, but he's an interesting character who's clearly very, very knowledgeable and brings that kind of old gravitas to every situation that he's in that you're almost... You're intimidated by him even though he never says a damn thing or never raises his voice beyond a, a, a fraction of a whisper. Did I tell you the story about when Werner Herzog first saw Baby Yoda? No. Okay, so he told this story, and this is like the cutest old man story I've ever heard. So <laughs> he, you know, of course, Werner Herzog is a director, acclaimed director. Very much um, so. He's in this, presumably because of his really close relationship with John Favreau, and he's in his first scene with Baby Yoda. And this is the scene that we're in right now when he walks in, uh, Mando walks in, he's got the pod with him, and Werner Herzog's character, the client, sees Baby Yoda. Apparently, during filming, he started crying. Really? And they, they asked him why, and he's like, I don't know how you did it, but this thing is just so cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you old, adorable German. <laughs> I know. I thought it was incredible. Um, all right. Uh, back to the recap. Mando goes to the underground Mandalorian Smith. This is a, a sounds like a woman. Mm-hmm. And he pulls out the steel. Now, you talked about, yeah, it's a lot of steel, right? It's like 20 of these plates, let's say. Mm-hmm. I also think, like, it's a little bit less than I would think could actually make armor. And so my, my thought here, and tell me if I'm crazy, I, I think they I think this steel is so strong they can make it super thin. That is my impression. Because I also think it allows them, because they, it's so strong, they can make it very light, too, which I think yep. is also mm-hmm. one of the features as well. Because as you said, each of these, you know, bricks is what? Two inches thick, max? Maybe not even that? They're pr- yeah, they're, not, maybe not that, yeah. So it wouldn't even cover just the general surface area if it was even kept at that thickness for making what ultimately is the breastplate they put on him. But they make it work. So they're either mixing it with other things, it's the out, a very thin outer layer, or this stuff is just so inherently resistant that you can stretch it as much as you need to and it will not compromise its integrity. Right. And I think that it's like, the you know, Favreau is smart enough to know he he's got to put little Easter eggs in. He's got to get the details right, because Star Wars fans are not going to appreciate if you don't get the details right. Um, for reference, see Spencer's reaction to Return of the Jedi and A Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> and having that little detail in, I, I don't know, for me, was really great, because it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Beskar Steel really is kind of a different animal, because you can just make it paper thin, and it still will stop a blaster. Right. It's an inherent trait of the metal itself that is resistant to blaster fire. It's not like a situation where we use modern body armor where you either make it out of a particular fabric that absorbs it or is just thick enough to stop it. This thing pretty much reflects it, it almost seems, or just so thoroughly disrupts it that it doesn't even have... It's not an issue of it forcing its way through. It just it inerts laser blasts when they hit. Yep. Another Mandalorian there. Not This is not the, the female smith. A little bit more of an aggressive guy (laughs) points out that, hey, um, I think he could tell from the sigil that was on the, um, maybe I'm using Game of Thrones references here, but the, 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 some marking that is on the steel that it was forged by the Empire. That is the, that is the mark of the Empire right there. That is the Imperial Crest. Yep. And the guy is clearly very angry with the Empire because he says this steel is a spoil from the Great Perch. When they came in, they destroyed our planet because, as I so eloquently said last episode, the Empire had enough of the Mandalorian shit, (laughs) destroyed their fucking planet. They all had to leave, and they took all the Beskar steel. Mm -hmm. Which also, like when you think about that backstory, it might make sense that Werner Herzog's character, the client, who clearly has Imperial ties, he's got stormtroopers there, can get his hands on the Beskar steel faster than actually commission a Mandalorian. Right, because if he has Imperial connections, I mean, if they, you know, killed off the bulk of the Mandalorian people, 
that is, a, as we see, you know, sadly in a later episode of this series, that is a lot of armor that's now sitting around that, as you can see, can make a hell of a lot of these little pucks. Or a hell mm-hmm. of a lot of these little bricks. Yep. The guy works himself up uh, into a bit of a lather and then starts fighting Mando. Mando does not... Mando's interesting during the entire series. Because he's not a guy who takes a punch and doesn't punch back. Like, no. he is a fighter. Because <laughs> yeah. he, this guy's much bigger than him, and Mando does not... He doesn't back down at all. He is ready to go. You ever you ever met that kind of little dude in your social group that was always a little bit always a little bit uh, slighter in build, but always kind of had a bit of a chip on his shoulder because of it, and was just willing to fight anybody that would try to mess with him? Yeah, Man- yeah. Mando's that dude. <laughs> he totally is because I expect him to back off a little bit, not only because the guy's bigger, but also because he's another Mandalorian. But nope, he doesn't. They start fighting. The woman who has had enough of this speaks up, and even like this shows her power just by her talking. That breaks up the fight. Did you notice, because I mentioned this in the last episode, that when they pull their respective blades that they hum and vibrate in the air? Yes, I did. And I wouldn't have noticed that because I, I watched this multiple times before we did the last pod. I wouldn't have noticed it if you hadn't pointed it out. But you're absolutely right. They have the vibrating blade. These are vibro blades. And they see that this thing makes a bit of a dent on even just, you know, Beskar steel as they're fighting each other. It doesn't apparently go through it, probably because they're not trying to really kill each other right now. But... It's a dangerous kind of blade. I think at later when we see it goes straight through stormtrooper armor without an issue. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's just, <laughs> like basically plastic, yeah. right? <laughs> no, I, I, you joke. The literal name of stormtrooper armor, I guess this might be a Lucas joke, is plasteel. It is plastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, I think it's there. It's more there just to intimidate and to take away the identities of the people who are serving the army. Yes. She asked Mando if he's ever removed his helmet or anyone else has ever removed it for him. I guess this is some sort of like you got to like answer the right questions before I can fulfill this order type thing. I think it's in some ways just reassuring everybody in the room. Like I'm going to just call him heavy weapons, dude, based on what we see of him later. Um, but heavy weapons, dude's kind of calling Mando out as being an anathema to their order. The fact he's even willing to work with the empire, that this is a sin, what he's in, what he's doing right now and how she silences the room. is just reminding him that no, he's a sworn brother. And that fact alone means that his decisions are sacrosanct. And you just need to fuck off right now. Which she comes up later. Yeah. She basically just makes him repeat that he's, a, he's still adhered to his vows. And that alone is so sacred to them that it silences the room. Yeah. it's a good point. She also does, like, put up a little bit of a defense for what Mando's doing. Because she's like, there is no empire anymore. Like, like who were you fighting, basically? You're right. And she also makes a point of saying out loud to everybody else that, Oh, this is a really generous amount. This will support a lot of foundlings. Hint, hint, room. Hint, hint. Need to make compromises. Thank you. Yep. And then she drops the Mandalorian house words. This is the way. This is the way. Whoa. First time we get the Mandalorian house words, certainly not the last. Oh, indeed. And it's, you know, it's an effective little saying right there. It's the most effective sayings are ones that you just imminently want to repeat. And this one just does that well. Well, I could totally see you just using this in your personal life. Uh, who says I haven't? Who says they didn't learn this from me? Like, I could just see you, like, making a sandwich, and your girlfriend comes in and is like, two slices of cheese on the sandwich? And you're like, this is the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to justify myself. Our actions are holy. <laughs> two slices of cheese. This is the way. Yeah. Uh, she asked what caused the damage to his armor. He explains that it was a mudhorn, which you called out earlier uh, in, in the last episode. That is mm-hmm. exactly what it's called, a mudhorn. She says she'll make the Mudhorn his signet, but he says he can't accept it as it wasn't a noble kill. He said he was aided by an enemy. Interesting word there. She asks why an enemy would help him in battle, and he says, 
it didn't know I was its enemy. That is a potential line of the episode. It's a good, it's a very good line. I like too the armor's reaction here too, is because that gives her a certain element of pause for a second. Of where it, like, huh? I'd want you to explain this to me more, but we'll continue for right now. It's it, it really stops her for a second. She has to kind of mm-hmm. find a different footing. Also, a tough thing just mentally for Mando to admit, because basically what he's saying is, and I, I touched on this a little bit in the last episode, is I think that event really changed him because he was saved by a baby who thought he was taking care of it. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a real mind fuck. It is. It's also it's also. And I just kind of thought of this right now too. Part of the reason that gives the armor a bit of pause is because she was building to this moment of him being fully in, in fully admitted into their order. That once he has a sigil, he is a full-fledged member. I think that's how it works. And the fact that he rebuffs that from a certain standpoint of honor, it kind of breaks her flow of how she was trying to work the room right now. And I think that that is one of the one of the factors that lead to the culmination of this episode, right? Yeah. What, what ends up happening at the end. Because I do think in this interaction, both the willing, he's, fight to, he's willing to fight the guy. He's willing to admit that he, it wasn't a clean kill with the mud horn. He's willing to give some of the Beskar skill to the foundlings. Mm-hmm. I think all of that endears that group of people to him. It does. And we see that a lot with the Mandalorian interacting with people, which is interesting given how stoic and non-expressive he is, is that by his actions, he really does earn a lot of loyalty. And she says instead she'll forge whistling birds. Mm-hmm. Now, did you know what that was? Not a freaking clue. I thought it was a different signet. I thought she was just going to put like birds on his chest. Yeah, it was a weird thing. Even when she, even when we see him a second later, when she's installed what looked to be these tiny little dart things in his arm, I still had no idea what those were. I was just like, okay, um, those look kind of cool. We'll find out. I figured we'd like find out in four or five episodes or something. But no, we're going to find out this episode. Yeah, and we got a hint, like, in, like, I think maybe the next sentence or the sentence after where she's like, you know, you don't have many of them, so use them carefully or something like that. Right, they're rare. But like you, when she said whistling birds, I was like, okay, well, that sounds like an animal, so different signet. Okay, I, I, I guess that's the fallback plan when you've refused the one she originally recommended. As I referenced earlier, Mando asked her to reserve some of the Beskar steel for the foundlings. He drops the Mandalorian house words, this is the way. Mm-hmm. She starts to forge the steel, and through Mando's memory, as the the forging is occurring, um, we get a flashback to when his town was attacked. It's a remarkable moment of innocence, too, of when he, you know, says we should support the foundlings, and she says, you know, this is the way, one should always support the foundlings. He he has a very innocent way of saying, I was a foundling, too, once. Yep. And she has to almost, with a very motherly kind of way, Mm -hmm. saying, I know. It's like, I've... I'm implied to be kind of sort of raising or protecting you for like the last couple decades. I'm, I'm aware, but yes, I need, this is a moment for you right now. Yeah. I, I, in my mind, just like laughing to myself, it's like, you know, the, you must be this tall to ride. (laughs) Yeah. Like she probably is like, you must be this tall to be a Mandalorian. She's like, you're a little short. Yeah. I know you're a foundling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Full member, full of everything else. But yeah, totally a foundling. Yeah, cut back to the cantina, and Grief is telling someone they can't get any more pucks. He's, like, dropping the hammer. Hey, you failed. So you kind of get a little, just brief uh, moment of how he kind of manages his operation, which is you bring in the client, or you bring in the asset to the client. Yep, you get you get the world. You mm-hmm. screw up one time, you never Done. get another puck. Yep. Mando walks in. Cue the Western music. do 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 because his spurs are practically jingling as he walks in with that brand new shiny armor that everyone is staring daggers at. <laughs> uh, Mando asks how many people had tracking fobs. 
Now, Spencer, was this maybe one of your first clues of what Mando was going to do? Uh, no. it was me. No, I still don't think mm-hmm. I got it yet. Because when he asked that, I thought, why would he give a shit? And it's like, oh, well, maybe, I, I, he, maybe he wants to know what he's up against. I, I think I wrote it off enough at the time that he was just annoyed that there were other people on the hunt and was just kind of inquiring into it. I didn't see the longer intent yet. There's a number of things in this in this conversation that give you a some, some foreshadowing to what Mando's going to do. Because the next one is, Grief is like, hey, what can I do for you, man? And he actually pulls out the Beskar Steel, which you referenced earlier, and says, hey, look, I even got one of these. This is awesome, man. Thank you for everything you did. Let's party. And Mando's like, no, I want my next job. And I want it to be as far away as possible. And for him to want it to be as far away as possible tells you he's emotionally affected by what he just did. Yes, no doubt. And it's interesting, too, because Grief's... I keep on calling him Apollo Creed because he's freaking Apollo Creed. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm fine with that. Apollo Creed is—he's really trying to bond with Mando in this moment. He's like, "You made me rich. You're rich. This is great. This is awesome. Let's be buddies now. Let's go hang out. What does he, what does he say? Like the Twilight healing baths or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, sounds awesome. Sounds and, like a grotto. <laughs> he's really put off and almost confused how non-responsive this Mando's being. And it probably should give him a few warning signs himself that this is not necessarily great. I think he gets it to a certain degree at the end of the conversation because when he offers the pucks, he I think he even says it before Mando does, but oh, here's some pucks. They're all really far away or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Mando gets up. He's about to leave. And by the way, if Mando leaves this scene, the traje- to your point, the trajectory of the show is completely different. But he does stop. He looks back, and this is the moment where I'm starting to cheer. I'm like getting a little bit of a cheer going. And mm-hmm. he goes, what's going to happen to him? Grief, <sighs> grief says, I didn't ask. It's against the guild, like reinforcing the rule. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask. But, you know, if the whole fucking situation bothers you, you can report him to the New Republic. Very interesting mo- moment here. Mando says, that's a joke. Yeah. And that tells us a lot about the state of the New Republic. And I think it also fills in, starts to fill in some of the gaps as to how the hell can you have Return of the Jedi, where Vader and the Emperor and the second Death Star all die. Mm-hmm. And then the very next movie, the New Order is around and the New Republic is underground again. And this mm-hmm. is giving you a little bit of a clue why apparently they weren't, they weren't really managing things particularly well. They've established them. And again, it's only been like five years since Return of the Jedi at this point. Yep. We're still definitely in the rebuilding period. And while the New Republic has probably established itself relatively securely around the core, we are really far from the core right now. Yep. So that's a joke. Um, Grief tells him to try to forget about the child. Basically, hey, once you get out of you know hyperspeed and you're in you know chasing your next asset, you'll you'll forget all about this. Right. And, and again. We see a lot in this episode that Grief is not a bad guy. He is, he's a, he's a bit of a harsh boss. We see it in the guy that previously left. But with respect to yep. Mando, he is a pretty straight operator. That Mando just violated guild rules in a pretty severe way by even asking Grief that question. But Grief just kind of tries to forcibly laugh it off. And tries to talk Mando through this. Okay, it was a hard job. There's a lot of ways you can fix this. Go clear your head. It's all right. Come back to me when, you, come back to me when, you're, when you're clear. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that, um, you know, he's done this twice now. He did it when he asked the actual client what they're going to do with him. And now he's asked grief. And I think in both instances, they know that what he did was a violation of guild rules. But I also think they were being careful because they were like, 
that might be an indication that it's going to escalate. <laughs> yeah, when there's an 800-pound gorilla asking you a question in front of you, even if it's something they shouldn't, you still want to be accommodating. Yeah, because they're like, if this fucking guy with his new armor flies off the handle, it's going to be a problem for everybody. Mando goes back to his ship. He starts it up. Ooh, internal struggle here. You can tell with every movement he's making. And, you know, people talk about like, okay, well, the, the actor for The Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal, shout out Red Viper. He, you never see his face. So really, what is he doing? What's the acting? And it's like, in this scene, I'll tell you what he's doing. That's He, he acts really well here because every push of the lever, every push of the button looks pained. It's slower than it normally is. Mm-hmm. He finally stops. He looks down, looks around. You see a big exhale when he realizes what he has to do. Turns his ship off. Boom. I start cheering. Did you note what was the moment that, the final moment that that moved him from point A to point B? He saw that little ball that Baby Yoda played with. You got it. That it wasn't there. It wasn't at the end, it wasn't the end of the lever he was about to pull. But yeah, that, the moment he then shuts everything off, and like you said, Peter Pascal does a great job of acting with his body here, because like you said, everything is lethargic, it's going through the motions, and then the moment he shuts off his ship, everything is fast, precise, and determined yep. from then Absolutely. on Absolutely. Yep, and the, and the, the, the cinematography uh, of the show uh, illustrates that as well, because they, they speed everything up, and you can yeah. see him power walking, you, the music changes, and he is absolutely determined. He walks to where the client is, and in an interesting moment, he sees the pod, and it's trashed out in the street. And I think this yeah. even more so it gives him resolve to go in and try to save Baby Yoda. Mando, Mando takes out his gun that can incinerate people. And looking through the scope, he can hear the client talking to the doctor. The client tells the doctor to extract the necessary materials and be done with it. Necessary materials, Spencer? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's midichlorians or anything like that. I think those have been banished from the Star Wars universe after, um, after the Phantom Menace. But maybe it's genetic material to clone him with? I don't know. We, we really don't have a frame of reference here, other than it's a very interesting conversation. Um, a lot about, what's the name of that doctor? Pershing or something like that? Pershing, yep. Um, it's a lot of his character that doesn't make sense from these conversations. And all we can really do is piece together what they give us and try to make something out of it. But yeah, the full, the full conversation here is just, he, 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 we get most of it. Uh, a few of things cut out, but is the client says, I don't care. I order you to extract the necessary material and be done with it. Pershing responds back, he was expl- he has explicitly ordered us to bring it back alive. Who, which is, we've all, we've all, all watched the show at this point. Presumably that's Moth Gideon that he's talking about right now. Yes. Um, but the client still says in response to that, finish your business quickly. I can no longer guarantee. I no longer can guarantee your safety. Your safety, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I will correct one thing you said. So, midichlorians do come up again in episode two, Attack of the Clones. And sure. I will tell you that just listening to interviews with John Favreau, he is not of the opinion in the Star Wars fandom that midichlorians should be banished. He actually liked that. Okay. He's one um, of the few. So it was, it was not a popular I, point. I, I, I wasn't crazy about it either, but he seemed to like it. And so I would not be surprised if he was reintroducing the midichlorian count in some way and how they're extracting blood or plasma or whatever the hell they're getting from Baby Yoda. It, it probably is working in some kind of cloning of variety or extracting material so as to make somebody else exhibit force powers. Don't know if that works at all, but who knows? They're, they may just be throwing science at the wall and hoping something sticks. I think, is it, Spencer, are you suggesting a clone of a clone? Why not? Sure. So just so people know what I'm talking about here, um, I stake my claim very early on in this show. 
Um, I don't know if we'll ever find out, but I think Baby Yoda is a Yoda clone. Now, we have a character vehemently protest the possibility of that theory later, but he does not know. He also is more commenting on the issue of this being a created creature rather than a clone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very possible. Yep. Mando has heard all he needs to hear, and he starts his march into the building. What, uh, go what, do, you, what do you think the client means when he tells the doctor, I, I no longer can guarantee your safety? Is he talking about Mando here? I think that... Or, um, my, no, is he talking no, about Moff? I don't think. I think he's about. He's talking about Moff Gideon, yeah, uh, Moff Gideon. And I think that what he, my interpretation of this is that it's taken way longer than Moff Gideon wanted to get yeah. this asset and get, extract whatever it is, and that he's losing patience. And we've seen, as we see later on in this series, Moff Gideon is not a good boss. In a, various bosses in the Empire are bad. We see Vader choke officers as part of his day-to-day routine. Moff Gideon takes us to a whole new level, though. I know, man. And, and that's even with running all those chicken joints in New Mexico. <laughs> okay. Well, if Gustavus Spring taught us anything, he is willing to kick the dog when necessary. And he keeps that going through his appearance in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. The guy who's Moth Gideon, who, who comes up in the last episode of the series, he was also in Breaking Bad, where he ran chicken joints and sold meth. He did. Um, Mando starts his march into the building, uh, killing stormtroopers and guards left and right. He gets to the room where Baby Yoda is being held. And the doctor starts pleading with Mando not to hurt the child. I think that this doctor saved his life because the first thing he told Mando was don't hurt the child. If he had said don't hurt me, I think he would have just popped him. Yeah, I think so too. And it raises a lot of questions in my mind about who this doctor is. Because that crest that he has in his uniform is not an imperial crest. I don't know what that little symbol is. And it seems to be strongly implying here in various conversations that he is not... He may be working with the Empire, but he's not an Imperial doctor, Imperial scientist. Isn't that the the um, isn't that the the sigil or uh, signet for the clone um, people, the folks who clone folks? Uh, oh, that uh, plant that was that made all the clone soldiers back in uh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I don't know. I have to go back and check. I hadn't really. Thought I think about it's that. the same thing, and I think that's what you know. People started saying, "Whoa!" Either either Baby Yoda's a clone, or he is being cloned. Okay. Well, it, either way, it would suggest that this guy's more more working with this Imperial Remnant on a contract basis rather than as a full-time employee. Absolutely. But I do get from the, the way that this actor kind of deals with these scenes that there is a level of just don't hurt a child, too. I think yeah. there, there's an undercurrent of that, too, which is I, I know all this crap is going around. There's all these machinations going on. But, like, come on. It's a baby. Yeah. It's an, I agree that there is a humanity that is behind this choice more than anything else. Yep, the doctor thinks Mando's about to shoot him. He closes his eyes. He doesn't, and Mando just takes the child. This is a uh, a scene that I've seen in probably forty different westerns, <laughs> where you put the gun to the somebody's head, they close. You're looking from their perspective. They open. The guy's gone. The horse is riding away. Uh, not just westerns. It's been done like in The Wire several times. It is one of the most just staples of cinema, right there. Mm-hmm. Now the firefight uh, begins to get him out of this compound. Mando tries sneaking. Uh, but some stormtroopers see him during the fight scenes here. We get exposed to the all the new tricks that Mando has with his armor. Oh my gosh! All including, the bells and whistles. Oh yeah, including ta- I mean, right even before he grabs Yoda, he tanks a close range blaster shot right to the shoulder, and it just evaporates. This armor's nothing. high quality. Yep, he has some mechanism to shock someone, so he shocks yep. one of the stormtroopers, and then he shows off a much improved flamethrower. Oh, oh my yeah. god. That Not even close. That guy. If he'd have had that, those Jawas never would have stood a chance. 
Jawas, Mudhorn, all of them would fall in before the Mandalorian. Because that poor Stormtrooper roasts in his armor right in front of us. It's pretty gnarly. Yeah, yeah, tough way to go. Mando then gets cornered and surrounded. He drops down and detonates the Whistling Birds. Which I gotta tell you, that's a hell of a weapon to have. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 would only, it would be most effective in these exact kind of circumstances, but for those moments of when you're surrounded or there's a lot of guys in the room that you can't necessarily directly deal with, these appear like little tiny homing missiles. Yeah, do you want to explain kind of what happens when uh, he detonates that thing? Yeah, he walks, in, I mean, he, he walks into this room. He's surrounded by, I think it's like four or five different stormtroopers that have got him completely dead to rights from all sides. Even with his armor at this range, he's dead. Uh, he kind of bluffs him about, hey, hey, I'm carrying something valuable. Let me just put my gun down. And he leans down to put down his gun, which they let him do. Nice guys that they are. Uh, probably because they have orders not to kill the baby. Um, yeah, I think so. Yep. And he then kind of flips his wrist, which opens up these whistling birds. And then once he presses a button, like four or five of them fly out, start circling the room, and then just embed themselves through the armor of each of these stormtroopers as they just stand on helplessly as it's happening. <clears throat> yep. It seems like what it is is um, these are tracking missiles that are programmed not to attack Mando. So it's anything else in the room. So very powerful weapon, but you do have to be careful because if you have any any ally in the room, they could be in trouble. And it also appears to be a bit of a terror weapon too because the whistling effect is not necessary from any, any practical use standpoint other than to just horrify your enemies as they hear their death coming. Yep. Inside the cantina, all the tracking fobs for the child start going off. Why? Because the child has been removed. And it looks like Grief immediately knows what happens. His face just kind of drops. Oh, yeah. Shit. That is exactly what he's saying in his mind. Is that, oh, God damn you. You didn't. Let's be fair about this. Let's be fair at this point to Krieg and all the other bounty hunters. What Mando's doing right now is probably he acknowledges a really dumb thing. This is the kind of thing that gets you and yours killed. He's doing this from an entirely ethical standpoint, but I think he's openly aware of the fact that he is off. He's just flying off the handle right now and not really thinking this through. Well, also, like I, when we watched this the first time, I posed this question to you. I was like, I mean, are we sure Mando's a good guy? Because he did take the payment. He did. Like, like you basically stole the payment. Like, and now you're taking the asset back. Like, it's yeah. one or the other, Mando. <laughs> You think he could just walk up to the front door and knocked and said, "Hey, I want I, I want take backsies right now." Yeah, and and but he's already forged new armor out of what he was paid for, so he can't give that back. So I don't know. He's, you're right. He's, I don't think he's thinking logically. I mean, if he was thinking really ahead right now, he would have gone to his order and said, "Hey, I'm doing this. I really need to do this. It's the right thing. I need you guys to back me up." Rather than just, I don't even know if he was hoping at that point. I think he was in some ways hoping to slink out of town without them even knowing he'd done it. Yeah, I think that's what he was. I think he thought he was going alone. I, and I honestly don't think he, he asked the, the other Mandalorians about it because I don't think he thought they would help him. Nope. I mean, he's clearly breaking the rules of the guild, like in the most obvious and, and terrible way possible, you know, for those guidelines. Yeah, he will be a pariah. He will never be able to return under the best case of scenarios. This is a hell of a decision that he's making right here. And as we see in this confrontation he has with the rest of the bounty hunters, it damn near gets him killed. Mando's walking through the town and is confronted by Grief and his crew. Mando tells him to step aside. The kid's going with him. Do love the confidence of Mando. This comes up a lot in this series. 20 <laughs> bounty hunters versus me with one arm? Mm-hmm. No problem. Got this. 
Oh yeah, and it, all it, good. It fits with the old gunslinger mythos of where they asked like the gunslingers that lived long enough to actually be able to have people write about them. They asked, well, you know, were you just a better shot or faster? And pretty much to a man, they all said, nope. It was just because when bullets were firing near my head, I was still cool under fire. That I could mm. still line up a shot and shoot somebody while they were shooting at me. And that Mando embodies that kind of gunslinger mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good fight scene here. And I think in part because they set it at night. I like that they did that. Because yeah. all of the blaster shots... They <clears throat> just spark. Yeah, exactly. Spark this light at the contrast against how dark the, the episode is. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed this confrontation too of where... How many other bounty hunters are there there in this scene? Like, at least 30 or 40. It's a lot that are out here. Yeah, Grief has a big crew, definitely. That None of them are willing to walk within, like, 15 feet of Mando. <laughs> Just like, yeah, well, I'm sure that also what Grief did is he'd say, he explained, like, hey, you know, you return the asset, like, you may get another bounty. Like, yeah. So, you know, he it's still a very wanted asset. It's still a very wanted asset, but it's also a scenario of where they're all very much aware of how dangerous this guy is, and none of them want to expose themselves unnecessarily to his wrath. No, and we see that all the time. Uh, we see that as a, a consistent thing through not just this uh, TV series, but also the original three with Boba Fett, and mm-hmm. then also in the prequels with Jango Fett and the clones, is that when you have that Beskar armor steel on, People are trained to say, all right, I got to fucking take a step back here. <laughs> yeah, wide berth. Yep. Um, uh, Mando, uh, this is, a, yeah, anyway, firefight ensues, but Mando eventually hides and starts sniping people with the incinerator gun. I got to get one of those incinerator guns. That, that is the most evil damn weapon of this entire, that may be the most evil weapon we've ever seen in Star Wars. That uh, thing is, what? Uh, Death Star. Okay. But Death Star, it still just blow. It still just blows up the world in a nice little green explosion. This thing, you get to see like War of the World style, their clothing burnt and ashes falling in the air. It's just we see a lot of evidence to suggest a key part of Mandalorian tactics is terror. That they are willing to just render their enemies fundamentally quaking in their boots at the idea of fighting you for what they can do to you, and they just mm-hmm. like to emphasize that. Which is why they. Don't hesitate to roast you in your armor. Yeah. Uh, here comes a line from Mando. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk to my ship with the kid, and you're going to let me. Grief does not accept this proposal, countering with an offer to kill Mando and strip his body for parts. Spencer, shouldn't you say strip the armor for parts? Uh, well, you know. Body has a weird connotation there, doesn't it? It, it, a, it has a weird connotation, but it just emphasized the whole you'll be dead kind of aspect to it. I need you to realize your death here. Maybe it's maybe the focus. But yeah, it's a weirdly said line. Uh, Firefight continues. Mando uses his flamethrower again. Massive flame. But it looks like he runs out of fuel. Yeah. And at one point, Mando looks down and sees that baby Yoda is awake. And cue music. And just when we think all is lost, a gang of Mandalorians show up and cut right through Grease crew. How many? Like 10? It's a lot of Mandalorians are falling out of the sky right now. It's a lot of Mandalorians, and they all have jetpacks. They all have jetpacks, and as we will see in a later episode, this scene has a special degree of importance for Mando, because it very closely mirrors his rescue, as we find out Mm -hmm. later, shortly after his parents were killed. Yep, they tell him to get out of there. They'll cover him. Specifically, heavy weapons, weapons, dude. Yeah, no, he's there to help him. Uh, Mandalorian house words, this is the way. Yeah. Because Mando has to, I mean, they are they are already know this, but Mando has to tell them you're gonna have to move. You're gonna have to move. You guys can't stay here anymore. You'll you'll win this fight. Duh! It's like ten Mandalorians all fighting together, but that puts a target on you that we just can't have. 
secrecy has to be maintained. You got to go. And they're almost flipping about it. Just like, yeah, that, we'll this do is the way. Mando gets back to his ship and is confronted by grief. Um, uh, Mando releases steam. Still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, Spencer. Yeah, I lost you for a second. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, let's keep it in. Okay. <laughs> Mando releases steam and grief shoots blindly. Uh, Mando shoots grief and leaves. We think grief is dead. We see that Mando's blaster shot accidentally or actually hit the Beskar steel that Grief got for commissioning Mando to get Baby Yoda. How perfect, right? Uh, intentional? He did see exactly where Krieg had it. I don't know. I don't think so. He was firing through the damn mist. Some people assert that you know Krieg was always fair with him. He was a good boss. He didn't want to kill him right there. And I think that's perfectly true. But everything we see out of Mando is, yeah, but he still would have killed him. Mm-hmm. As Mando's leaving the planet, one of the Mandalorians ride next to him on a jetpack. Heavy weapon suit again, because you can see the big <coughs> blaster on his back. Mando, I've got to get me one of those. And the last scene, tugging at the heartstrings, oh, Spencer. Yeah. Woo! Tears down the cheeks. Niagara Falls, everybody. Last scene is Mando giving ba- uh, Baby Yoda the metal ball back. And every... I, we said it when we watched it together. Bridget and I said it again when we watched it here. Everyone I've heard about, everyone just goes, oh... At that moment when he pulls the ball off and drops it to little Yoda. Because you can't even see Yoda. You just see his little hand reaching up underneath the counter. Yep. It's just adorable. (laughs) It's adorable. Before we get to our segments, I have some questions for you. Please. I think this this question, or this episode, maybe more so than any others except the finale, um, really do beg some questions. So one is, why is Grief so concerned with stopping Mando from taking Baby Yoda? I mean, to the point that he's willing to risk his entire crew they're being cut through. He's willing to personally confront the Mandalorian, which he knows is not, not a great idea, mm-hmm. on his own, on Mandalorian's own ship. Why is this such a big deal for him? I've got a couple different theories. Uh, one is probably just eminently practical, based on what we see later, that he, probably more than anyone, is aware of who he's doing business with and is aware that, okay, we're in the Outer Rim. The Imperial Rim is still a thing here. And if they think in any way that I just let this happen, this goes on me and us. They will take this friggin' world over, as we see that they do. So that may be part of it. Another thing may just be a certain degree of professional pride and, you know, rules of decorum, that this is the most inter- this is the most key aspect of their order, of their of, of the guild. They have a contract, they perform a contract, and you can count on us to do that. People contract with us because these scenarios don't happen. Only reason they keep doing that is because they'd be reassured that you're hiring a professional that won't ask questions and will do the job without issue. This is like when they when they asked like one of the British admirals about why you're uh, the Battle of Dunkirk, why are you risking the fleet to land in the beaches? He basically just said something along the lines of, you know, you can train a guy in, th- in a couple of years, you can rebuild a ship in ten, but you can't replace a tradition in a thousand. Is that? Maintaining certain rules of your order and how you're viewed and how you're representative have an, an integral value. And seeing one of his one of his men walk in on a client, shoot up his client, and steal what he had been hired to bring discredits the entire guild. So I think that could be a key part of it too. Yeah, I think it's uh, fear and greed. I think yeah. it's fear of the the remnants of the empire, uh, the moths, you know, folks. At this point, because we know now, you know, when you watch the whole thing that Apollo Creed, Grief, knows Moff Gideon's a thing. And he's scared of him because yes. the guy's a fucking maniac. Um, so we, it's fear, but also a little bit of like, this could have packed future business. 
mm-hmm. because people won't have any, like to your point, won't have any faith in the guild and us actually adhering to our rules. Mm-hmm. But also, hey, maybe if I get it back, somebody will give me a check. Very possible. And the fact that, you know, it's not him that sends out the message to all the fobs means that the client controls that to a certain degree. So it's the client that sent a message, you know, saying, bounty's back on, bounty's back on, dear God, get this guy. So yeah. it's a, it's a probably, an, it's, it's, it's certainly a mix of a lot of different factors here. But like you said, he's bringing out every single resource he has to stop Mando right now. I don't even think Mando fully expected that. No, I don't think he did either. Um, why did the Mandalorians choose to save Mando, and how did they know he was in trouble? Uh, well, A, they probably heard the noise. That's got to be a factor in it, too. So we don't see any sign that Mando sends out a message to them. Don't see any, like, I think we, like we talked about, I think Mando very much intended that they not know about this, that he'd be able to sneak out of town and maybe try to explain it to them later. So it may just be that they heard and came running. I also think it's probably just there's so few of them that in very much gypsy traveler kind of a mindset we protect our own there is nothing more fundamentally sacred that there's not enough of us left in this world that we can be casual with losing one of our number regardless of what they've done regardless of what has happened they are ours and they will be protected so i i think a mix of those go in about how they knew and why they did what they did i also offer up that they fucking hate the empire and they know that this bounty guild is working on behalf of the empire and i think that big muscle man um he probably liked the idea that Mando flew in the face of that guild because they're working for the Empire. And the right. fact that he is, yeah, he's, he's pushed back on them, I think probably motivated him. Yeah, though, we, as, we, as we've heard, pre- as we heard previously in this last scene, apparently only like one of them goes above ground at a time. That's what they said, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So they're violating their own rules to do this right now. Mm-hmm. But it is clearly important enough to them that they're willing to put that principle to bed. It did surprise me, though. I did not expect them to, to come in and save him. I was kind of, I, I, it's true. I was not necessarily exper- expecting that kind of cavalry moment of them charging in to help. Though I was really on the edge of my seat wondering how Mando was going to get out of that situation. Yeah, because you knew he was. Yeah, had to be some way. <laughs> there were more episodes here. Well, and also like to the point I made in the last episode, like it's just such a funny thought experiment. If, uh, <laughs> I might mention this three or four more times during the pods. If John Favreau had just unknowingly killed off Baby Yoda and didn't know how much people were going to love him. Are, are you, I was laughing in that scene like, man, if they kill Baby Yoda here, there's going to be a fucking riot in the streets. Or, or, or even if they'd just done Mando just drops off the kid and just goes on to a different mission. Could you just imagine how much people would have just freaked the hell out? If it's like, what do you mean that Ma- What do you mean that Baby Yoda was just a two-off and now he's gone? <laughs> uh, final question before we get to our segments. What, in your mind, is Mando's motivation for saving Baby Yoda? It's hard to say with Mando, because we haven't seen much of him at this point, but we've seen enough to realize that he does have a degree of empathy in his heart, that he is not just a cold professional in the way that a lot of people assume Mandalorians are. Yes. So that's definitely part of it. It may also be a degree of shared history, which they emphasized in this episode, too, about that he was a foundling. He had lost his parents and been alone in the world, he was about to be, as we see later, killed by various people that wanted, you know, various hostile forces. So he may see a similar situation of where the Mandalorians took me up and protected me when I was alone in the universe. Isn't it not in some ways my duty to do the same? So, yep. yeah, but my thoughts. I couldn't couldn't have put it better. That's exactly what I think, too. Yay, we agree. That's never, yep. never happened before. Yeah. <laughs> Not since season seven of Game of Thrones. 
No, um, no, earlier than that. Season yeah, six, season episode six. ten. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. All right, let's get to our segments. You got some uh, ideas for best line? I got some. Yeah, I had a couple quotes from you. Uh, I think there's going to be an obvious winner, as we kind of already said before, but there's a few other ones that merit note. You, you said a couple already, so I'm not going to focus on them quite as much, but okay. ones I particularly liked are uh, the client's very icy, intimidating line of, unfortunately, finding a Mandalorian in these trying times is more difficult than finding the steel. I like that line. That's a cold line. That's an effective sure line. Is. Uh, to, uh, you want, do we want to do a call and response or should I just do all of mine first? Yeah, I, 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 I've done all mine, so you go ahead. Okay. Other uh, ones are, I, I love the line by the, by the armor of when the crowd is, you know, getting a little bit raucous. raucous. Uh, two, two, of her, two of her men are fighting there in front of her. She silences them with, when one chooses to walk the way of the Mandalore, you are both hunter and prey. How can one be a coward if one chooses this way of life? Because it really gives you an insight into the idea that these guys aren't just, you know, really good mercenaries. They're not just really good soldiers. This is a religious faith. These are, these are warriors militant. They are practically a crusading order. They even treat themselves like knights errant going out in the world. And that's a good line to emphasize that aspect of how much doctrine and, and these repeated maxims factor into what they are. Ending, of course, with my recommendation for line of the episode, this is the way. Okay, those are all good ones. Uh, best line of the episode, Mandalorian, episode three, the sin, this is the way. Yeah, it's got to be. It's a powerful it line, be. comes yep. up again. Yep, absolutely had to be. How about nostalgic moment of the episode? I've got th- I, I've got two minor ones and then my, my recommendation for my biggest nostalgic moment. Okay, uh, fire away. Uh, minor ones, uh, like I said before, nice to see vibroblades in there and made much more clear in this scene of where them humming through the air, them clearly vibrating in blurs, all nice to see. Also just how effective they are that you can freaking knife a stormtrooper through their armor with one of them. It was nice just as an off moment. Did you notice the species of the noble uh, who jumped bail that he's going, that he, when he takes the puck to go off as far as possible to do? No. It's a Mon Calamari. It's Admiral Akbar's oh, people. Oh, Admiral Akbar. So just seeing those fish people and even having um, Creed, uh, Apollo Creed say that, oh, you need to go to the, you know, o- the ocean dunes of Kaskar or something like that, which I've never heard of that plant before. But just the idea that, oh, yeah, of course he's going to an aquatic world to hide out. So nice to see them on Calamari again. Always makes me smile, even how briefly we see them. But honestly, my nostalgic moment of the episode was the initial hologram that we see of Krieg when he calls Mando. Of where I love the Star Wars holograms. It so clearly emphasizes that this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away about just how the technology works. From our perspective, it looks almost purposely retro, but that makes perfect sense because it is fully removed from us. It is in no way tied to us. And just seeing those little holograms come up the same way as Princess Leia saying, help me, Obi-Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi, you're my only hope, it just tugs on all the nostalgia right there. So just that little initial moment of Krieg sending him a thank you message just really brought me back into, you know, Star Wars Episode Four. Wow. Really good one, Spencer. I completely agree. All right. Anything else we want to do before we wrap up Mandalorian Episode 3? No. I think this was... I, I think I liked the second episode more than this one, but I think this is the uh, just a very important episode and really just setting wherever we're going to go from here. Up until this moment, we didn't necessarily know what the nature of the show was going to be, but now it is abundantly clear where we're going from here. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think I like this episode better, but there's also like 40% of me that like 
how much I like an episode is going to be dictated by how much force Baby Yoda uses. So wouldn't episode two then be your favorite? Uh, well, there's later episodes where he, he oh, yes, of course. wields the force as well. But it's almost like that's a, that's another like parallel metric for me where I'm like, I don't know, man. Baby Yoda lifted up a mud horn. That <laughs> uh, might be my favorite. Yeah, ever rewatched all the series recently, the moments we're going to see later of Baby Yoda using the force, if you're not just standing and applauding, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> Completely agree. All right, good episode. Uh, thanks for doing this with me, Spencer. This is Mangum Talks TV, Mandalorian Episode 3, The Sin. We are back next week with Mandalorian Episode 4. Please check out our other podcast, Mangum Reads, Whiskey on the Weekends. Those are available at Podcast Stitcher or MangumTalks.com. Talk to you later. See you.